You may be seated if you are here, and whether you're in person or joining us online, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the beginning of the New Testament, the right side of your Bible, and then you'll hit Acts, and then Romans. Romans actually chapter 5, we're beginning chapter 5 today, verse 1, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. My name is Jason, one of the elders here at Church in the Square, grateful to get to open up God's Word with you. We're continuing to look at this book, which is really a letter, a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this eclectic bunch of first century followers of Jesus, uh, some of which grew up going to something that maybe you and I would recognize as church, to the temple as, as Jews who believed in the God of the Bible. Others had this very pluralistic worldview of understanding and really having a belief, a thought that To honor any and every God was the noble thing to do. And so they're both sort of coming from these different perspectives, these these primary groups, if you will, that Paul is writing to, both Jews and Gentiles. And Paul is writing to instruct them about the uniqueness of Christ, the uniqueness and beauty and power of the gospel. In particular, how is it that that grace in this first movement and faith cooperate or, or work together with the work of Jesus that has been done on their behalf so that they would know saving faith. They would have the saving knowledge of who Jesus is. And so we've been looking specifically at a doctrine that's known as justification by faith. We've been looking at that all the way up until chapter 4. And Paul takes a shift a bit here in chapter 5. He begins to help us understand not just how we are saved, but what this, what's this look like in real space and real time, not only right now, but on into eternity. So he's going to give us a picture moving from chapter 5, not just here's how you were saved by grace through faith, through the work of Jesus Christ, but now here's how it ought to inform the way that you live. Here's how it ought to inform the way that you think, not only about today, but your entire future, your entire well-being as a human being. So today we're going to look at chapter 5, and in particular, Paul starts this new movement on the idea of peace. And can I just be straight with you? I needed this verse. I needed this idea, especially in this season. I don't know about you, but you need some peace today and an understanding of where peace for the follower of Christ even comes from in the middle of what seems like the shifting currents of our world on a daily basis. Uh, Whether it be violence against black people, whether it be a global pandemic, or people like in, in normal vernacular news outlets talking about UFOs. Like, I need some peace today in the middle of all of this injustice and brokenness and uncertainty. And the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing them to you, sister, is writing them to you, brother, and to me, to us as a church family, that we would know peace. And so let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. So peace is something we need to talk about. Because peace is something I think that we consider and have on our minds quite a bit. We, we may most often think about peace in, in ideas of conflict or war, that we long for the conflict to stop. But we also think about peace or even have longings of peace at a very elemental level of the human heart. We desire things like justice. We desire things like uh, freedom from anxiety, freedom from fear inwardly and externally. We desire love and happiness and rest. All of these things, what we're really talking about with different language and perspectives, we're really talking about peace. 
I want to know peace. I want to know rest. I want to have an assurance. I want to be free from anxiety and fear that just slips into our consciousness or your consciousness or mine at a moment's notice, it seems like, fear can creep in. And so today we're going to look at Romans 5, verse 1, and specifically, what does Paul mean when he says and uses this phrase that we will have peace with God, or that we can have peace with God, which, by the way, is a monumental statement, that you, oh human being, can have peace with the creator of all things, that in your relationship with him, there can be peace, is what Paul is saying. So to help us understand this, I'd like to consider four different things, the nature of peace, the power of peace, look at some imposters of peace, and then finally we'll look at the promise of peace. So the nature of peace, the power of peace, the imposters of peace, and then on into the promise of peace. And we can never understand something like this without God's help. Amen? So let's ask him for some help right now. Let's pray. Father, we're coming to you because when we come to your word, we realize that um, We may be able to understand it in in plain language. We may be able to understand it at an intellectual level. But if these words are to be what you intend them to be, to be transformative, that they would not return void, but that they would accomplish your end, we need your help. We can't do that on our own. We need your Holy Spirit, by your grace, to illuminate the scriptures, to shine brightly through this text, that we would see the truth and beauty of you, our God. So humble us. Humble us, we pray, Father, in your presence. Humble us as your people, as your church. We can be so haughty and so arrogant. I know this is so true in my own heart and mind. And so help us to be a humble people, that we would be a people with ears to hear and eyes to see the brilliant things that you desire for us as your church to see. I pray that for my friends who are feeling incredibly afflicted this past week. Would you comfort them? And I pray for my brothers and sisters who are comfortable. Would you afflict them with your word that they might become holy even as you are holy. We pray this together as your people and we do it in the only way that we can. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So from the very very beginning, I want to invite you to concede a particular idea and then hopefully prove it to you. That when Paul was talking about peace, he's not talking about a feeling. Oftentimes when we think about something like peace, because of the tune of our culture, because of really everything that happens in our world, feelings can be very, very central. So first and foremost, peace is not a feeling biblically. What what does the text actually say when, when we look at it? Because this is not an experience, it's not an emotion, but it's a reality that Paul is talking about. And, and so this claim is really, I think, made plain. So what's the text say in verse 1 of Romans chapter 5? Therefore, Paul says, we have been justified by faith. And here it is. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that word therefore is a great word for us to connect what Paul has just said with what he is about to say. So everything that he has just said is pertinent, helpful for us to understand what he is about to say. So this helps us to answer this, this question of the nature of peace. So what is the nature of peace directly a result of? What is it? Well, when we look back up to verses 23 and 24 and 25 of Romans 4, we get our context. It says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for our, or rather for his sake alone, but for ours also. It, that is righteousness, will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus 
Christ. Did you feel the connection? This is what we looked at last week. That's what we have been talking about. We have been justified or rather made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, who was raised for our justification. So what's Paul saying? We have peace with God because we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God because we have been justified by faith. Here, if we were justified by works, you would never know peace because you would be terrified all the time living in fear that you were going to not measure up. So being justified by works does not lead to peace, nor does being justified by our fulfilled desires lead to peace because our fulfilled desires do not satisfy the deepest longings of our heart, nor do they always stay the same. They change. What I desired as a teenager is very different from what I desire in my 30s. And that's probably a really good thing in many respects, right? Our desires change, so our truest satisfaction and joy and peace are not found in fulfilled desires. They're not found in our works. What's Paul saying? What's the Bible teach us? That we have peace with God because... We've been justified not by works, not by fulfilled desires, but by faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. Are you picking up on this? This is actually really good news. It's not just an idea that's different from other ideas. It is, it is the truth as opposed to lies. It may be helpful to note a couple of things. A couple of things that Paul doesn't say, actually, in the text, which may help us, I think, get, put a finer point on what he's bringing home. First, he doesn't say that we will have the peace of God here. He says peace with God. And that little distinction may seem innocuous at first, but it's actually really helpful. Again, Paul is not talking about a feeling or experience of peacefulness. He's talking about a standing before God. Standing, which is actually the word he's going to use in verse 2 in chapter 5, is a forensic or legal condition. It comes from the fact that previously we did not have peace with this particular party or this particular person, in this case, God. But we have rather were proclaimed as guilty and not not one who had peace. We have been facing then condemnation because we were in sin. So we did not have peace with God at one particular point. Instead, what did we have? The wrath of God. That's Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. See, in our sin, we didn't have peace. We didn't have peace with God, which means we are not safe in God's presence if we are in sin, which means we cannot rest in God's presence if we are in sin, which means we are not under grace, but under wrath. But here's the good news. We've covered this, haven't we? We've taken some time to cover this in Romans. Because of the gospel, we have peace with God. We have peace with God, not just the peace of God. And notice, Paul uses, this is the second thing that he he doesn't say, he uses not future language. He doesn't say you will have peace with God. He says you have it right now. He doesn't say we will have peace in the age to come. He does not say we will have peace with God in heaven. He does not say we will have peace with God when Jesus returns and set all things to rights. No, we have peace with God today, right this minute, right this second, right this hour. You are experiencing peace with God if you have believed in Jesus as your Lord. That's really good news. You're not waiting for peace, church. You possess it between you and God because of Jesus right this instant. That same for you who are sitting in this moment as you who are online. It was as true as you the moment you were saved as it is right now as it will be forevermore. That's really good news. Many of us believe we became followers of Jesus so that we could go to heaven and have all kinds of great things in the age to come. But Jesus is better than that. 
He's better than a God who has things waiting for you someday and says, you better obey so you get all this good stuff. He is so good that he has given you the beauty and glory and majesty of himself. Heaven has already come to earth and is accessible by faith. You have peace with God right now. That's the nature of peace. That's the nature of peace that Paul is talking about. We have a right standing with God. We need not live in fear of him. Overwhelmed with anxiety, we can know peace because nothing produces more peace in a human heart, in a human being, in a human soul than knowing that they are at peace with the one who has created them, with the one who is over them, with the one by God's spirit dwells within them. There is nothing that should create a level of peace and comfort and joy in a human being than knowing that they have peace with God. This is why peace with God produces the peace of God. Knowing we are in right legal standing with God because of Christ produces the experience of peace. When we have peace, we'll experience its power. This is why we start with the nature, so that we'll understand that we have peace with God, so that we can move to its power and understand how we have the peace of God. So what's all of this mean? How do we experience this peace? Well, let's think about it. Instead of peace, our reality is often, outside of that idea, is guilt, it's shame, and it's fear. Guilt and shame and fear. That these are the things we often experience rather than peace. When we are not feeling peace, we are often experiencing guilt, we're experiencing shame, we're experiencing fear. For those of us, who have spent, or rather spend much of our lives trying to fulfill each fleshly desire one after another, it's really good news to hear that you can find rest. That you can find rest in God's presence. You have peace with God. You don't have to wait for peace on the other side of buying that thing. You don't have to wait for peace with God on the other side of feeling a certain kind of way. You don't have to wait for peace with God. You have peace with God because peace is the forgiveness of guilt. You are no longer guilty in Christ. You are proclaimed innocent. You have peace with God. So if you are overwhelmed with guilt... What we need to remember in that moment is that we have been forgiven of our guilt. We may have peace with God because of Jesus. Not only that, but also shame for others of us. Our stories of shame because of trauma, abuse, or suffering, we we need to hear that the good news is you can find safety with God. You can be safe in his presence. We can have peace with him. Why? Because peace is the covering or purification of our shame. He covers us us with his righteousness. He clothes us in his holiness. Peace is the covering and purification of your say, my dear sister or brother. You don't have to be overwhelmed by the story of your past. You don't have to be overwhelmed by what has happened to you. To be sure, this takes time. This takes building trust. This takes opening God's word and pursuing vulnerability. To be sure. And yet, the truth of who you are is that shame has been washed away in Christ may also live in fear. For us who live in this daily trying to please God, have you been there? Trying to make sure that our good deeds outweigh the bad, constantly fearing that he is going to look at us and condemn us. And in fact, he just doesn't even like us, right? I don't know if you have this view of God, but sometimes I just think he is annoyed with me. Like you again? Right? This is what I often think has been conditioned from somewhere, this idea of fear. Like, he doesn't really love me. It's like somehow I got on the team, and he was like, shoot, okay, cool, 
fine. You're here. We can't deal with that now. We can't do anything about it. And, and so there's this fear that often wells up in me that I'm not really loved. And so one of the things that happens for me, church, is that I feel I have to perform really, really well. I've got to preach really, really well. I've got to father really, really well. I've got to husband really, really well to convince God he did a good thing in saving me. And I live in fear of him, and I don't trust his love. The good news of this peace is that peace has defeated fear. That peace is now mine and should be mine in Christ. And I don't have to live in fear. That you don't have to live in fear. This is peace with God. This is the power of peace with God. We who are unrighteous are pronounced and made righteous in Christ. We who are unsafe are now protected in Christ. We who are weary and heavy laden, we have found rest in Christ. We who would have been condemned are justified, are proclaimed innocent and righteous in Christ. This is not an emotion nor an experience. Peace is our standing before God. The nature of peace is who we are in his presence. We have peace. It's what he has done. The power of peace is safety from shame. It's rest from guilt. And it's love that drives out fear in his presence, in relationship with him. And it's through this nature and through this power through which we believers, which believers rather experience, and yes, even feel a peace in the most conflicting and painful of circumstances. This is why the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Does it ever feel like your mind and heart are under attack? Does it ever feel like things are leaking into your consciousness and forcing their way into your self-concept and your heart that are alien and foreign to the scriptures? What Jesus teaches us, what God teaches us in his word is that you can have a peace with God which goes beyond comprehension that is supposed to guard your heart and guard your mind and keep you safe in the middle of all of that nonsense. This is why we've got to go to his word. This is why we've got to be in community. We need to be reminded of the truth of who we are because daily we don't believe it. We don't have peace. See, when we have peace with God, knowing how we stand before God, knowing the nature of peace, we can experience the peace of God, knowing that we are no longer threatened in an eternal sense, perhaps in an immediate one, there is pain and light and momentary afflictions, but knowing that we are safeguarded by the peace of God. So knowing the nature and knowing the power, I want to spend a couple of moments now looking at some imposters, some imposters, some of those things that leak into our hearts and minds, I think from sort of prevailing culture. See, after all, we may feel a semblance of peace in our lives without faith in God, without right standing before God, and without even thinking about God. To be sure, much of this, I think, is God's kindness. One of the reasons we experience peace without actually knowing God is through a theological idea called common grace. God is good to his creation, even if his creation is not good to him. God is good to his creation, even if his creation is not good to him. This is common grace. To be sure, people experience levels of peace without knowing God personally. But we shouldn't act as those people who don't uh, know the Lord as always, uh, act, act, don't know him and have to always live in fear and foolishness. We don't have to. We, we, we have a truth. We have an understanding of where peace actually comes from. So how can that be? How can it be so that somebody, even we might look at their lives and see that they seem like they're living in peace. They seem like they don't have guilt. They don't have shame. They don't have fear. How can someone who doesn't even know the Lord actually live with peace? See, if the foundation of peace is right standing with God, how can someone experience or feel peace if they don't have a right standing with God? 
And I want to make the question even a little bit harder because I think many non-Christians and in fact immature followers of Jesus actually feel more feelings of peace. I think people who don't know Jesus feel peaceful more than people of God do. And, And I want to explain that to you in just a second. See, in short, I think when you come to Christ, isn't it true, you learn the difference between the truth and the lie. You learn the difference between the darkness and the light. Your eyes are opened. Your ears are opened. You see the world as it is in its pain, in its brokenness, in its evil, in its chaos and confusion. And so these imposters of peace guard us from discomfort, but they never achieve genuine peace with God. These are momentary band-aids to guilt and shame and evil and, and sickness and death and fear, but they are not remedies. Let's consider four of them, and yes, there are more, and I'm sure that together we could come up with many more, but I want to highlight a few that I think the Lord has put on my heart for us to consider as a church family today. These imposters of peace that show up first. The first imposter is ignorance. Some of us may feel a high level of peace because we are ignorant of diversity and suffering. We receive our news, our ideas, our worldview from people who look like us, act like us, talk like us, and have a particular lane of the world that we get all of our information from, including Christians. And we're fine with it. This is what we call willful ignorance. We are willfully ignorant of what is really happening in the world. We don't want to know or even want to be exposed to something that is different or difficult because it will mess with this false sense of peace that we have acquired in our little cul-de-sac of culture that feels very comfortable to us. Or, as 2 Corinthians says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers that they cannot see the light of the gospel nor the glory of God in the face of Christ. See, ignorance is not peace. It's blindness. It's an imposter of peace. The second imposter is disengagement. These are people who maybe have information, but they are unwilling to actually suffer. They're unwilling to actually move into the messiness. See, another reason that we feel a semblance of peace, or maybe even more peace than others around us, is because we know things are wrong, but we keep our distance. We may not be ignorant, but we still choose not to draw near. We don't get involved in people's lives. We don't feel wrath because we've built our lives like on these ideas of the suburbs and of white supremacy in order to protect ourselves from any kind of accountability or discomfort. See, disengagement is not peace. Disengagement is self-protection and disobedience. Let's not act like we have peace because we're ignorant. Let's not act like we have peace because we are disengaged. Nor thirdly, Let's not act like we have peace just because we have money. Can I preach to you yet? A third reason why we may feel peace is because we have so much money and we love it. Money has this earthly power which is effective in its delay of wrath or a certain kind of sting of wrath, if you will. One of money's primary promises is that it will protect you from suffering, discomfort, and vulnerability. And it can to a certain extent. It does actually have that ability. Spending money is fun, and it makes you feel like you are on top of the world. This is why we love going to a restaurant and treating people terribly, because we're sitting there like emperors and empresses and saying, I would like another tall glass of water, another drink, a refill on that, and it's all brought to us. Money makes us feel like food just shows up on our plates. 
We didn't have to go through the difficulty of growing it, delivering it, making it, preparing it, or knowing any of the knowledge of how to put it together. Are you tracking with me? Money makes us feel these sorts of things. It feels very peaceful. Don't get me wrong. After COVID of making so many meals all the time, these kids eat non-stop to sit for the very first time at a meal and have some, it, it was a gift. But money is deceptive. You're not supposed to love it. See, make no mistake, money is not peace. The Bible teaches us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And, and he goes on, Paul does in 1 Timothy, to say, and it leads to many pangs. So, so loving money actually doesn't create peace. It creates more disorder, more conflict, and more wrath. It's going to do the exact opposite that it promises it will do. God, help us. Help me in this. Money is just money. And often it becomes a destructive idol. We need to be so careful. See, peace, or rather ignorance is not peace. Disengagement is not peace. Money is not peace. And fourthly, permissiveness is not peace. There's another reason I think why we feel a level of peace but don't actually have peace is because we have a, misunder a misunderstanding or misguided presumption about freedom. When, when personal desires are the ultimate guide of love and happiness and well-being, then we never really have to confront people in hard conversations. We live and let live, and we call it peace. You do you, I'll do me, we'll live at peace. It feels like peace, but it's not. Ultimately, we act like as a freedom to choose will set people free and give people peace. But the Bible teaches us that the only thing that sets you free is what? The truth. You doing you doesn't set you free. Jesus says the truth will set you free. That means real peace is not about letting people do what they want, when they want, however they want, just so you don't upset anybody. Rather, true peace and freedom comes from knowing, obeying, and loving the truth. See, many of us, I think, are content to know the truth, maybe obey the truth, but we don't love it. Real peace comes from trusting God that he knows best, and we submit ourselves to him. See, underneath all of these things seems to be the idea that if we create distance between ourselves and hard things, then we will know peace. But ignorance disengagement, money, permissiveness do not ultimately lead to peace because they don't do anything. They have no effect on the wrath of God. They don't touch that. You think God's going to be impressed and go, never mind, my wrath will not burn against you because you got a ton of money. Didn't see that coming. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not impressed with your bank account. Do you think he's going to look at what you own and where you sit and what you do or what, where I sit and my lack of ignorance? God, I didn't know. He's like, you didn't even look. You didn't even try to know. This is what we see recurring. We always have a reason why we don't have to engage, why we don't have to go through suffering. And this is why it's so brilliant that the Lord sends his son, who is not ignorant, who is not disengaged, who is not obsessed with money, who is not permissive. See, imposters pretend to accomplish something, and they may even feel like for a time they do, but only Jesus gives us peace with God and the peace of God because he's the only one who could and did do something about the wrath of God. See, peace is not achieved by removing ourselves from suffering and conflict. Why? How do we know this? Because peace was achieved by Jesus who took our place in the suffering and in the conflict. See, if you remove yourself from hard things, you might feel peace 
for a minute. You might even feel more peace than a mature follower of Jesus. But only the mature follower of Jesus knows that lasting peace, right standing with God, and the beauty of cosmic safety, rest, and love only comes from the one who is our peace, Jesus himself. See, in Jewish culture, this is why they say shalom. This is why they greet one another with this idea of peace. It's so central to who they are. To this day, they speak shalom in in a greeting and in a salutation. And have you ever wondered why? Well, through the Old Testament, what is promised in the Messianic kingdom is that the kingdom is going to be one of peace. God was going to give his people peace. And how good was that to sound to a people who were oppressed, enslaved, wandering, and weary? He says, I'm going to give you rest. I am going to be your peace. What's more, this idea is picked up in the New Testament as a mark of the kingdom of Jesus and the ultimate kingdom to come in the new heavens and new earth. See, peace is a part of God's kingdom. Peace is a part of God's world. Peace is a part of God's people. Peace is a promise which God has made and fulfilled through Christ and by his spirit. Which leads us to Jesus' own words. So please meet me in John 14. Just back to the left, a couple books of the Bible. Go through Acts, and then you'll hit John. John 14, verse 23. I just want to read this for you on through verse 31. And in Jesus' own words, he'll address the nature of peace, the power of peace. He'll even reference these imposters of peace as a whole, and then he'll point us to the promise of peace. John 14, verse 23 through 31 says this. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, He will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not know love me, does not love me, does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. And here's what he says. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away. And I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. What's Jesus say? Jesus says that the nature of peace is a peace, which is what? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, it's his very spirit that makes us in right standing with God. Jesus says that the power of peace is a peace that empowers your heart. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Elsewhere, he says, why? Because I've overcome the world. It's a peace that gives us safety and rest and freedom. Jesus says that the imposters of peace don't work. He says, not as the world gives do I give. The world is powerless to make you right before God, therefore powerless to give you peace. And where does all of this lead? Jesus says that the promise of peace is that forever we will come to the Father and make our home with him. This is the kind of peace that lasts forever. So church in the square, peace is not a feeling. Peace is a right standing before God. And you have peace with him. 
This means that when you are afraid, when you are riddled with shame, when you are riddled with guilt, even if this moment, if this word feels overwhelming, you have the Spirit of God within you to be your peace, to be your hope, to be your stay, that you would know, that you would remember, that I would know that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we will have it with him forever. So Heavenly Father, help us to believe this. Help us to trust you in this. Help us to rest in this, find safety in you, find joy in you, because we have peace with you because of the work of Jesus Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.